Hey, good morning and welcome to First. My name is Daniel and I'm our group's pastor here at the church. And I don't know about you, but I would never volunteer to have sunscreen in my beard, okay? That's just me and I came really close to it and it was frightening. So I'm going to need a moment to really get into this today. But uh, as you know, we've been in our free swim series. If this is your first week with us, you might not know what you've gotten into. But today we're kind of continuing through this journey that we've been taking through the letter of Galatians. It was written by a man named Paul to a region of churches in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. And we've really been hitting at this big idea this whole entire series, is that God's family, it's best understood not as a restricted pool, but as a free swim. It's a place where anyone and everyone who believes Jesus is Lord and Savior is welcome to the pool of faith. And so another idea that we've really been getting at throughout the course of this series is that the good news is what we're centered on. And it's this idea that in Jesus, this can be a church, church can be a place where you can belong before you ever have to behave or believe, and that we can can become, over time, the people who God's created us to be. Now, last week, if you were here, we recognized that there is this really long history that precedes us in our Christian faith. God, he's always had a plan to make everyone right with him and to restore all of our relationships with one another and to restore the world too. And all this started way, 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 way back with a man named Abraham and his faith. And the thing we learned is this, Abraham's faith was intended to be a blessing to the entire world. His family was meant to extend that blessing to everyone who would meet them. And that his family ultimately received this thing called the law that Through the law, it was supposed to point beyond to itself to a time when a savior would come, Jesus himself and faith in Jesus himself, which really leads us to today. And so at this point, we've kind of been working through a lot of conflict in this letter because there's these group of folks who are saying another group of hoax needs to behave differently to be a part of the family of God. And so what Paul really wants to do is he wants to sit the entire family down for a family meeting. Now, I don't know about you, but family meetings in my household usually were in when I did something stupid growing up, okay? So family meetings weren't always the most fun thing in the entire world. I always got to hear things that I didn't necessarily agree with. But when it comes to this family meeting that Paul is calling with all the people in these Galatian churches, when it comes to the good news, when it comes to the gospel that we've been talking about for the last four weeks, this is what we've learned. We must proclaim and we must protect the gospel. And really what we mean by this is the fact that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He was born at a perfect time. He lived a sinless life. He died an unjust death to justify us in our relationship with God. And he rose from the dead to prove that God was true to his world. And now anyone and everyone who puts faith in that Jesus has the ability to be a part of the free swoon, to be a part of God's family. So, This is what we proclaim and protect. Now, would you turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, whether that's in your Bible or whether you've got a smartphone with an app on there. It's going to be on the screen as well. But while we're turning there, I really want to dive into a little bit more. Why is Paul calling this family meeting? What's the bad behavior that's caused this meeting to happen? And so Paul, again, and this is the unique thing, he's going to call out not just certain people, but the entire family for distorting the gospel, okay? And remember, we've hit on this week after week. To distort the gospel is to destroy 
the gospel. There's nothing you can add to or subtract from the good news that Jesus lived, died, and rose again that would make it better in some way or make it truer in some way to distort the gospels to destroy the gospel. And here's the big elephant in the room, honestly. There's this group that we've talked about over and over again, a specific group of Jewish Christians in the churches of Galatia who kept insisting that you had to observe all the requirements of the historic law of the people of Israel in order to be in God's family. And Paul is going to call hard pause, okay, hard stop. This isn't going to fly. We can't continue to say things like this. So here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine being at your family's dinner table for a really intense family meeting, and you're the one who's in trouble. The air is tense in the room. You can almost cut it with a knife, and everyone's faces are kind of sour. And this is what's really important to note on the front end of this family meeting. To be clear, Paul is not making a generalization about all Jewish people or making a blanket statement about them, but he's talking specifically about the behavior and the advice of the Jewish Christians in the Galatian churches who recognize Jesus as their Lord and Savior but they wanted to call everyone else who were not Jewish to observe the entirety of the law. And so what Paul is about to do is he's about to set them straight in such a way that they're not going to like. And that, quite frankly, was pretty offensive. So if you want to look at verse 4, that's where we're starting today. And it's going to be on the screens too. This is what Paul writes. He says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, he continues, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. Which that's literally the Aramaic term for daddy. Paul continues, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And this is the word that I really want to have sink in today. Paul says this word, formerly. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God. And I'm going to do the preacher thing where I stop in the middle of a sentence and you get to wait until later on to figure out what that says, or you just read ahead. I get that. So, in some ways... Paul, what he's doing, parents, I see you real sly doing this all the time with your family. He's using the old trick, good news first. You know what I'm talking about? You have some terrible news to share, and so you kind of paint the good news on the front end and on the back end, and the bad news is in the middle. Well, the good news, according to Paul, and this is what he starts out the family meeting with, is that Jesus himself, the Son of God, he came at a perfect time. He was born unto the house of Israel. He was a Jewish man. He was raised in the household of Israel. And he lived a perfect life, fulfilling all the requirements of the law. But then he died an unjust death. And through that death and resurrection, this is the good news. Everyone who has faith in Jesus has been adopted into God's family. Everyone. Period. Look. That's really good news, right? Such good news that almost all the faces at the dinner table that are sour, like just trying not to smile, you know that face of just like, I'm happy with you, mom and dad, but I'm faking being mad right now. And this really is where we move from there. This is the good news in its pure and undiluted state. That's the message of hope we have to share. 
And the confirmation of the good news for us is this. God confirms the good news by sending the Holy Spirit to live within us when we recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior. And when you know Jesus, you can know that you're a child of God because the Spirit cries out within you and gives you the recognition and the confidence that you truly are a child of God. You can look to God in all sincerity, call him Father. Now, Paul is really saying this when you read his argument backwards. He uses that word, formerly, you, meaning all the Jews in his church and all of the Gentiles in his church, no matter who you are, we all were slaves, which would have been pretty offensive for some to hear. But now, God has redeemed all of us, and through our faith in Jesus, God has adopted all of us into his family. So today, this is really the thing that you need to take home more than anything else. I want you to know this in your bones. Jesus has changed us from formerly to family. Jesus has changed us through our faith in him from formerly to family. And I want you to really, really stew on that for a minute because this is not some old, stale, bible truth. It's as true today as the day that Jesus kicked the stone away from the grave and walked out alive, conquering death. Through faith in Jesus, you have been made a child of God. I don't know what your formerly is. I don't know what that past identity is that tries to chase you down all the time. Formerly from your divorced parents to family. Formerly from your wrecked marriage or wrecked multiple marriages to family. Formerly from your string of addictions and bad decisions and mess-ups to God's family. Formerly from your pink slip, from your shame to God's family. Formerly from your deepest doubts to God's family. Formerly from your greatest fears, from your depression, from your anxiety, from your despair, from your hopelessness. To all the terrible things that you could throw in and say, this has been my identity. It's wiped clean. Through your faith in Jesus, you are a child of God. It's an irrevocable promise. You are a part of God's family. Now, doesn't perspective help everything when you're sharing a little bit of bad news, especially with those tough conversations? Paul has got to bring the good news to the table. He's got to remind everyone, his Jewish Christian friends and his Gentile Christian friends alike, we were all stuck. All of us, without exception, were stuck in sin apart from the personal intervention of Jesus Christ the Son of God. And so, goodness, why don't we remain in the life-giving truth that Jesus has set us free, that Jesus has given us an identity, that Jesus has made us family, that Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, has given us the ability to call God Father. But this is the problem. We're still at the family meeting, right? And the bad news hasn't showed up yet. And Paul, he really does have to drop some hard truth at the table. And so let me finish that sentence now. If you're looking in the middle of verse 9, this is what Paul says. He says to everyone, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. And this is the sharpest thing he says yet. Imagine this. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. 
This is probably the most offensive thing that Paul has said or done yet to the people in this church. And what Paul has done is he's blurred the lines between the two major identities at play in this church before they all came to know Christ. On the front end, you've got whether it would be paganism or faithful law observance. Paul is saying we're all in the same boat. By using these phrases, those weak and miserable forces, and then special days and months and seasons and years, he's combining these two identities. First, of paganism, which would be a popular term for sacrifice and worship in the Roman cultic system. And then, faithful law observance of non-Messianic Jewish faith. And he's saying, hey look, if you started in one place, no matter who you are, and you came to fully rely upon Jesus, the Son of God, but then you return to either paganism or faithful law observance apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Well, in his words, his sharp words, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. It's like Paul is kind of like saying, hey, look, look, trust me, I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad. I'm just genuinely disappointed. And I think I might have wasted my time even sharing what I shared with you. Now, as a child, could you imagine hearing something like that from a parent? Some of us have heard things like that from our parents. That would be so incredibly hurtful. But in a way, Paul, he has sincerity in the right thing in mind at this point in time. Because he believes that clinging to anything other than faith in Jesus purely alone is a grave, grave mistake. So this is what I want to do. I want you to take a moment and to reflect upon your personal journey of faith, whatever that's been to this point in your life. So something that we believe and are convicted by as a church is that God cares deeply and equally for every single human being. And we also believe that God wants every single person on the face of the earth to grow deeper and deeper, no matter where their starting point is, in their relationship with God. But finally, our conviction is that the starting point to being a part of God's family is by identifying Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so last week, we kind of talked about this by using the illustration of the deep end and the shallow end, right? You remember what I'm talking about? We talked about how the starting point for us really swimming freely is by recognizing that we need Jesus to save us. And this is the interesting truth. As we grow, this is what we'll figure out. We don't actually grow deeper just by learning new stuff, even though knowledge and wisdom is super helpful on our journey. And we don't grow deeper and deeper just by learning to behave better, even though self-discipline and self-control, they're virtuous, they matter, they're part of walking with God. The truth is this. We grow deeper and deeper in our relationship with God by remaining in the truth that Jesus is our greatest and deepest need, even as we swim into deeper and deeper waters of faith. And so this is what it comes down to. In a way, Paul, he's coming alongside the Galatians. They've been on a faith journey. They're a part of this faith family that's trying to awkwardly work through what it means to be a family together. And he wants them to avoid the bad lifeguards, the people who would say, hey, this is lap swim, not free swim. He wants them to avoid the pitfalls of faith. And so he makes this heartfelt plea to his friends who he genuinely loves as we look to verse 17. This is what he says. Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. They want to alienate you from us. 
so that you may have zeal for them, zeal or passion or energy. Paul says it's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. And then he leans in one more time. He's like, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed by you. Now, we made sure not to do that passage on Mother's Day because Paul is pretty insensitive talking about like he knows what it's like to give birth to a child. Am I right? You know what I'm saying? Anyway, we're going to work through this section really quickly so that doesn't become a stumbling block for us. This is what it comes down to. The Jewish Christians in the Galatian churches, they had zeal and passion and sincerity, but it was all misplaced. They were misguided. Paul had made it clear through the good news, just as you are, no matter your background, ethnicity, culture, any category that we use to define our past, you can put your faith in Jesus and be made right with God and be a part of God's family. But here we have a group of sincere Jewish Christians who are trying to come alongside some new adherents to this historic faith that has now been totally redefined by Jesus, and they're trying to say to them, no, actually what you need to do is fulfill all the requirements of the law to be a part of God's family. And Paul's just like, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up. No, this is the opposite of a free swim. So I wonder, we all like to go to the pool in the summer, right? Or maybe to the beach if we're lucky. And we all know that sunscreen is important after all, right? No one wants to get so toasted that we can't enjoy the water at all. And so really what the skincare experts have come up with is the sun security blanket, SPF 100. You know what I'm saying? Maybe they think you add an extra 55 to it and your kid will just be convinced all of a sudden, oh, that sounds great. Let me put this suntan lotion on my skin. But here's the thing. It is scientifically proven that this does rarely anything more for you than SPF 45. The extra 55 isn't getting you anything. Now, honestly, this is how it was. Just like SPF 45 and SPF 100, the Jewish Christians in the Galatian churches thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they were informing of the extra adherence that the people had to go through in order to be made right with God. They were sincere. Observing the law honors God. But saying to someone that anything on top of faith in Jesus will save you is misguided. So let me make this abundantly clear. There is nothing that you can add to or subtract from, but especially there is nothing you can add to your faith in Jesus that will extra save you. Jesus alone has the power and authority because he rose from the dead and has sent his spirit into our hearts to bring us from formerly to family. There aren't extra stipulations to being a part of the free swim. And look, we've got to be really careful here because it just so happens that in the Galatian churches, this was a group of passionate but misinformed Jewish Christians. But guess what? We are the type of people, even today, that we're constantly going to people who are trying to take first steps in faith and we're handing them SPF 100. Now, I don't want you to mishear me because what I'm not saying is don't wear any sunscreen at all. Because sunscreen is good for you. It'll do no good showing up at the pool and being like, hey, I wore sunscreen last week, so I should be good this week, right? You know what I'm saying? We can all kind of fall into this logic. My wife and I, we actually honeymooned in Jamaica. It was incredible. We spent eight days in an all-inclusive resort, 
perfect like 85 degrees and breeze the whole entire time. But here's the problem. I wasn't getting a tan. And look, what good is a vacation on the beach if you don't come back with perfect skin tone? Am I right? And so I was applying SPF 45 every time I went out because I have a wife who cares for me. She doesn't want me to be in pain, right? But I finally put my foot down for the first time in my marriage, and I was like, no, on the second to last day of our honeymoon, I said, I will go outside without sunscreen on because I want a tan. And so at high noon, the day before we left, I got out and spent three uninterrupted hours in the Jamaica sun without any sunscreen at all. (laughs) Man, that sun works so much better 1,500 miles closer to the equator. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Right? Look, this is Paul's big point. The point isn't SPF 100. The point isn't no sunscreen. The point is Jesus is enough. Remain in that truth. Stay there. But here's the problem. The loudest voices in the church world yell SPF 100 or no sunscreen, we're good, or here's so much, you need all the sunscreen, all of it, just paste it all over your body. But these are the two greatest pitfalls of faith. You'd say it like this. The first pitfall goes like this. Jesus plus fill in the blank. And I think that thing just came to mind for you. Jesus plus financial security. Jesus plus a perfect family. Jesus plus the house. Jesus plus, well, maybe if I behave a little bit better. Jesus plus a little bit more social status and reward for doing things that honor God. But here's the other pitfall. Fall into the trap of saying, I don't need Jesus today. A lot of us are convinced that we're such good people that how could we ever need Jesus? I mean, honestly, I could learn things from Jesus, but to fully accept him as Lord and to say I need him to save me, my life is well together enough. I don't need Jesus. And on the other end, some of us have been following Jesus so long that we've convinced ourselves that we've learned everything there is to learn about Jesus and from Jesus. And so we say, hey, I'm going to bring my little Jesus toolkit of facts with me today, but I don't actually need the abiding presence of Jesus. I don't need to be connected to Jesus. I just need to know about Jesus. Look, Jesus plus fill in the blank is not remaining in the truth that Jesus is enough. And I don't need Jesus today is definitely not remaining in the truth that Jesus is enough. And really, I think this perplexes Paul. That's the word he uses, and it perplexes me too. Why in the world would we add or subtract anything from the good news that Jesus has welcomed us into the family of God through his life, death, and resurrection? And so really, we need to think about a couple of things when it comes to our faith, whether it's sharing advice or the way we behave. So whenever we're looking to give out advice about God, we really need to ask ourselves, are we adding anything to the good news or are we truly sharing and modeling the fact that for you and me, Jesus is more than enough? I can rest in him no matter what life brings me, Jesus is enough. But here's the other thing. When we're trying to make decisions about what it would look like to honor God through our personal behavior, decisions that we make, we need to ask ourselves, are we truly freely swimming or are we just retreating to the shallow end of the pool by justifying our behavior? Are we really just saying, you know what, like this whole Jesus thing has been great, this whole family of God thing is great, but like 
I don't need to really obey and trust Jesus. I just need to know that Jesus is my Savior. Both miss the point. Now, whether it's SPF 100 or no sunscreen, if we're going to use that illustration, Paul doesn't have patience for either approach. Both are way off target. And so Paul, he's going to lean back in one more time because for Paul, he needs to have everyone know that Jesus has brought us out of our past identity into the family of God. And so what Paul does is this. He brings it all the way back to Abraham again. Abraham, the forefather of our faith. And here's some of the good news for us. If you think the Bible is just chock full of perfect people, just take a look at Abraham's life, okay? Just like us, God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. And this is how it all started. God promised this guy Abraham that his direct biological descendants would be a blessing to the entire ends of the earth. The blessing of Abraham's faith would seed out into all the people of the world, and everyone would be blessed. But there's kind of an issue with that. Abraham was, like, old, like 99 years old with an 89-year-old wife with no kids old, right? So this is going to be a little bit of a problem. And so Sarah, Abraham's wife, asked, or, you know, low-key kind of demanded, Abraham give her a child through her servant, Hagar. The child would be Sarah's in name, but it would be birthed through Hagar. And I know what you're all thinking. Wow, this will go out so incredibly smoothly for Abraham and his family, right? Now, here's what it comes down to. They both had a little bit more confidence in the biological clock than they did in the timing of God. You ever, you ever land there from time to time that we have more confidence in our timing than in God's timing? This is exactly where Abraham and Sarah are at. But long story short, God had promised Abraham and Sarah a child. They disobeyed by having this child outside of God's promise. But God, since he's faithful when we're faithless, he still fulfilled his promise. And at the ripe ages of 90 and 100, Isaac, which literally means laughter because it's pretty funny, was born. Isaac was a child of promise. But Ishmael, Hagar's son, was a child of disobedience. And this is what I figured out. Reading this week, I discovered that the Jewish Christians in the Galatian churches may have been coming in and using Isaac and Ishmael as an illustration of the differences between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. What they were basically saying was, hey, if you don't embrace Jewish cultural and law patterns, you're not a true child of God. You're no better than Ishmael, Abraham's illegitimate son. Which is pretty mean-spirited to call someone an illegitimate son, especially if it's not true. So from that story, Paul wants to set the record straight. And this is what he says, looking at verse 28. He says, now you, meaning everyone in the church, brothers and sisters like Isaac, are children of promise through faith in Jesus. Flipping forward to verse 30, Paul continues to write, but what does it say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance of the free woman's son. Now, Paul's like, so you're saying that the Gentile Christians aren't true children of promise. Well, here's the actual truth. Anyone and everyone who relies on anything less than the atoning sacrifice of Jesus and faith in Jesus that's what it means to be outside of God's family. But in Christ, you have been made right with God. 
And so really, the blood pressure at the table is rising quite a bit. Because Paul's not going to leave this unclear. And so for the Galatian churches and for us, we have to take this home. In God's family, when people come in with lies, saying all kinds of things about who we aren't, we tune out the thoughts and teachings that call us formerly instead of family. We tune them out. So we're moving to our time of response. I think some of the best advice that you and I will ever hear is to listen to the right voices. You know what I'm talking about? There are words that come in and out of our consciousness on a regular basis that don't deserve the time of day. And so when it comes to being in God's family, there are words that need to ring true and there are words that we need to know are clearly and completely false. And so for us, a couple of big take-homes today is this. For one, when it comes to being children of God through our faith in Jesus, we have to stop believing the lies. We have to be so fully rooted in this identity that in Jesus we've been brought from whatever our past was, from whatever string of addictions, from whatever terrible family history, from whatever terrible habits that we have right now to the family of God through our faith in Jesus. That is sure and true. We've been invited by God himself through the body and blood of Jesus. We have been made right with God. We are his children. No one can take that away from us. But I think this is really important too. As children of God, those of us who claim Jesus as Lord and Savior, we've got to quit telling lies too. We've got to quit telling lies with our words, but we've got to quit telling lies with our actions, especially. If we are truly and sincerely in agreement that anyone and everyone who puts their faith in Jesus can be made right with God, that God calls that human my child, what are we doing walking around telling people they are less than they actually are? When we look at the way someone's dressed, or we look at someone's social status. We look at the things they've accomplished in life. Or maybe we look at some of their present decisions and we say, hey, the way that you behave excludes you from God's family. Now God certainly wants us to grow deeper and deeper in our faith, but it is not our role to tell someone that they are an illegitimate child. That's just terrible and it's mean. Who we are is secure. We're first and foremost created in the image of God. That's true of every single human being. But through our faith in Christ, God views us through the same, same prism that he views Jesus. Now, who are we to look at people who God sees as his children and to say they're anything less than that? So this is what we're going to do today. We're going to celebrate the fact that God has made us his children by responding in a few ways. Number one, if you believe Jesus is sincerely your Lord and Savior, you've been invited to this table that we call communion. You've been invited by God himself. To celebrate by recognizing in the little pieces of bread the body of Jesus and by recognizing in the little cups of juice the blood of Jesus and partaking of those and remembering that through the body and blood of Jesus broken and spilled, God has brought together all the people of the earth that will trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. Those stations are all throughout the room, and as we respond in just a moment, you are more than welcome, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, to participate in communion. 
Beyond that, though, some of us will respond today by giving. And for some of us, that looks like giving our lives up to God in full and complete surrender. I know there are a number of you who've been going through this entire series and you've been wrestling with the fact of like, where do I really stand with Jesus? Where do I really stand with God? I'm curious, I'll listen more. And maybe today is the day that you're understanding that really the moment where you cross the line from being outside of God's family to being his child is when you just say, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. If that's you today, I want you to mark on that connection card in your seat back that you're ready to surrender to Jesus, that you've made a decision to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And if you're ready to do so, if you're ready to publicly declare that, I want you to mark the bubble that says, hey, I'm ready to be baptized and declare Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You can take those, fold them up, and put those in the given response boxes later. Now, for a number of us who have been a part of FIRST for a long time, we will respond today by giving generously of our tangible resources. And so one of the things that you can do with that is just recognize that when you give to FIRST, when you give to your local church, you're not just giving to a 501c3 organization. This is not just a tax benefit. This is something that we do collectively to say, hey God, you can do with us together more than we could ever do on our own and separate. We are propelling the mission of Jesus forward together and we are here to stand rooted in the fact that we are your kingdom people right here and right now, bridging heaven and earth together in the life of our church. If you want to give in that way, you can respond by giving on the Give app if you've already on-ramped onto that, or you can use the Give and Respond boxes throughout the room, or you can use the giving kiosks that are out in the lobby as well. But with all this said, all these different ways in which we can respond, one of the things that I really want to consider is what really brings us together in our identity as the church? What makes us who we are? When it comes down to it, we are a people who are audacious enough to believe that through our faith in Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth, the God of the universe, looks at you and me, one of seven billion, and each and every one of us, he claims us as his children dearly loved, seeing us the same way he sees Jesus. That's our good news we have to share, and that's what we're going to celebrate today as we respond. So would you do this? Would you stand with me? And I'm going to say a word of prayer, and we're just going to respond by worshiping the God who brings us from formerly to family. God, you love us enough that from the very foundations of this world, you've had us in mind. You've had a plan throughout all of history to rescue and redeem and reconcile us. You have a plan to make this world like heaven. God, I pray that we would be the foretaste of heaven here on earth. I pray that we would behave like family. I pray that we would have a supreme confidence in the fact that we're your children through our faith in Jesus. And God, we know that you adopt anyone and everyone who comes to know Jesus as Lord. And so I pray that we respond in whatever way we need to in order to be drawn deeper and deeper into this free swim of faith. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.